This, like all the seminars, is uh, supposed to be interactive. So what I want us to do is, rather than me talk for 20 minutes and then we'll have a 20 minute <coughs> interaction, feel free to jump in, ask questions, make comments, right from get-go, okay? Um, just look at right at the top there. Paul writes to Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. So right in the very heart of what uh, New Testament ministry is about is preaching. It's, it's biblical preaching. And um, come on in guys. Just above it is a, a, a quote that I came across a number of years ago that's really stuck with me, that uh, talks about the need, the ongoing need for biblical preaching. It's by Haddon Robinson, great preacher himself. He says, if Protestantism is found dead, bad preaching will be the dagger in its heart. Let me just give you an historical example of that. The Welsh Revival, 1904, great revival, Probably hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ, chapels all over Wales. Uh, Evan Roberts, the evangelist, started that off. Yet the tragedy is that within months, really, of the revival beginning to peak, it had completely dissipated. And church historians have analysed what went wrong. And the thing that went wrong was they failed to sustain it with biblical preaching. The evangelist was never followed up by the pastor-teacher. And so all that harvest fruit was, was lost. And if you go to Wales today, there's chapels all over the place and they're private residences, they're farm buildings. Uh, and, and, and it's a testimony to what Adam Robinson says that... Uh, it's found dead and bad preaching was the dagger in its heart. There's a, an outline there with four parts. And uh, everybody got one of these sheets. Okay. And I just want to show you those four parts and then we can, we can talk about them. Okay, text, take off, Flight plan, landing. It's the picture of a, you know, uh, an aircraft flight. Let's just mention some stuff about each of these. First of all, uh, the text. I think biblical preaching always has to be from the Bible. Don't base what you're going to say on a principle of psychology or on a principle of business or on a good idea or even on a felt need but always grounded in the Bible always open the scripture one of the one of my favorite preachers is David McFarlane and he works for Billy Graham he's, he's a great communicator I was out for lunch with him one time and I said, David, I, I notice you frequently use a Bible story to preach. And he said, I always use a Bible story. I always 
open the scripture. And so I'd urge you as preachers, and by the way, thank you for the uh, preaching that you do in, in feeding the flock. Uh, I, I'd always urge you to start your message with somewhere close to the beginning and by opening the Bible. There's no sound like that rustle of pages as people are turning to what you want to uh, show them. Uh, let that be something that's realistic. If somebody was running their sermon by me one time, and their opening reading was 73 verses long. <laughs> I said, I, I think you're going to weary the people out if you do this. So, you know, uh, a dozen verses, half a dozen verses, highlighting uh, one of them is, is optimum or taking a story, but always start with a text. Any question or input anybody wants to do at this stage? I would say if, if, uh, if what you say doesn't can be backed up by what the word says, don't say it. That's right. Yeah. I remember talking to one pastor and he said, I read uh, business principle books and that's what I base my sermons on. And I thought, well, geez, that, that might grow a church, but it doesn't produce discipleship. Uh, and, and what we want to do is produce discipleship. Okay. Any, yes? One of the comments that I want to make is that now uh, with the age of digitalization, people want to see their phones. Yeah. So uh, in, uh, in that, is there any particular version that, like because people prefer to see the phones. So uh, like what do you, what is your thought about that? that because there are different people. Yeah. There's two sorts of Bible versions. One is the um, literal equivalent, and the other is the dynamic equivalent. A literal equivalent tries to stick as close to the original words as possible. The dynamic equivalent, uh, for example, a literal equivalent, I mean, King James would be perhaps the best known, the ESV is a literal equivalent. It, it's, it sticks as close to the words of the original text as possible. A dynamic equivalent like the NLT, that translates the uh, thoughts and words in the heart language of, of some modern people. And I think it's good to, to refer to both. Rick Warren does this. He, he backs and forths. Uh, I've seen him quote the NLT, I've seen him quote the ESV. I would say for study purposes, it's best to stick with a literal equivalent. And then for a, a, a deeper meaning, go to the dynamic equivalent. The translators of the dynamic equivalent are a bit naughty because sometimes they will include their own perspective in that. So for example, um, when, they, when it says you know, your sons of God, they will say, you're children of God. Because they want to be inclusive of women. And that, you know, I think that's, we want to be inclusive of women. But I think that they, they miss something because there's something of inheritance involved in that original term, son. So it's, it's best, I think, for your study purposes 
to go with a literal equivalent, not a dynamic equivalent, but have a dynamic equivalent to see how it's rendered. Thinking at digital versus paper, yes? Yes, I also okay. do that way. Yes, because there are people who prefer, you know, there are old timers who prefer the yeah. text. I, I don't think it matters. I think it's just personal preference. Some people like to see you with the Bible. Some people like to use it, but I, I much prefer the digital. Uh, others don't. So I don't think it really matters, Cherry. Okay. Take off. I think the most important part of your sermon is the first two minutes. I think you're going to either grab people or lose them within that first two minutes and so that's, that's optimum and I recommend um, starting a message with, with some creative attention grabber it, it can be a news item it can be a video it can be a, a, a story it can be a testimony it can be a visual aid but for the first two minutes, do something that will grab attention. Classic example, Mark. Hey. He, he, he grabbed my attention. Hey, there's Woodstock and Linus. You've got me. I was listening. Was Charlie Brown. Uh, Charlie Brown. Well, I wasn't listening too closely. I was, I was thinking about this seminar. <laughs> Charlie Brown. Thank you. But grab grab their attention uh, it, it, it takes a bit longer to put a sermon together if you're looking for that creative start but I think it will pay off uh, always be on the lookout for those um, write them down make a note of them so that you can draw on them I'll say something about that again in a minute on illustrations any questions Comments? Anybody want to throw anything else in? Okay. Your what's your favorite story? What's oh. your What's your keynote? Oh, there are, there are many. I remember though preaching on uh, Jesus saying, uh, "You know, I, I am the way," and I thought, "Geez, how do we start this off?" And suddenly it came to me. I thought. Hey, there's lots of roads in the world. So I found out what the highest road in the world was. I found out what the longest road in the world was. What the most dangerous road in the world was. What the fastest road in the world was. Which interestingly is in Toronto. Uh, and, uh, and so we, we started off with some slide pictures of, of these roads. And just for two minutes we talked about that. And then we said... But the most significant road in the world isn't made out of tarmac. It's a person. Jesus said, and then you're in. And hopefully, you've got people's attention. Okay, the flight plan. <laughs> Create a structure. And uh, I've written here the Starbucks principle. Um, by that, what I mean is this. If you go to Starbucks, you ask for a latte, the barista doesn't come to your table and just pour it all over the table. They get a receptacle and they 
put the coffee in the receptacle and hand it to you. They serve it to you in a containing structure. And I think that's so very important uh, with a sermon. Structure helps preparation, it helps presentation, and it assists memory. Now, I get my leg pulled because I like three points. You don't have to have three points. In fact, you don't even have to have delineated points, although it is very helpful. Uh, But what I think we must have is a logical progress throughout our messages. Otherwise, they're just random ideas thrown out. I, I belonged to a church in the UK for a number of years and, I, and the, the, the lead pastor there uh, really loved the Lord and, and he loved to talk to the congregation but he, he would go on a wonder, on a ramble and he would ramble this way and ramble that way and there were the devotional thoughts and things about Christ and, and I remember one of the other elders said well you know what, I've got a warm feeling inside, but I haven't got a clue what he said. And I don't think we can actually disciple people and produce maturity with a warm feeling inside, but not knowing what's been said. So I I think that in, in your messages, aim at structure. Look for a pattern. In actual fact, the scripture is... I think it's part of the process of inspiration that if you look for it, it falls to pieces in a structure. So, for example, the leper comes to Jesus. He's, got, he's a leper. He's got great need. He comes to Christ. He's got great faith. He's healed. He's got great reward. That's your structure. And and whatever you draw out of that message, if you hang on that, I guarantee people will remember it. If you just talk about need and faith and reward, it's less likely that they'll retain. Or your thoughts will be as organized. Can you repeat that? The the faith, like the parts of that? Oh, uh, great need, great faith, great reward. Tomorrow morning sermon, right? <laughs> um, when when you when you've got your structure and you're working up each point, there's three rules that I try and observe. Here they are: proclamation, illustration, application. Not the assonance there. Proclamation, illustration, application. I I love that sort of thing. There we are. It 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 helps memory. Let me tell you what I mean by each of these things. Proclamation means state the truth as simply and as succinctly as possible. And by that, I don't think we have to look for deep hidden meanings. The Bible's simple. Uh, When Brian Watts did a similar seminar to this a couple of years ago in in this conference, 
One of the things he said was, let the Bible speak for itself. And, and I, I recommend that you guys do that. Just let the Bible speak for itself. What's this point saying? Um, in the proclamation, don't fly by the seat of your pants. Do your preparation well. It probably takes, well it takes me anyway, probably about 20, 22 hours to do a message. Now I personally like to do a full manuscript. Some people don't. And that's okay. That one isn't right and the other wrong. So long as you're prepared when you go in the pulpit, that's all that matters. I prepare best because I don't think well on my feet uh, with, with a full manuscript. The danger of that is you can get trapped to it. The danger of having an outline is that you never finish it. But somewhere, it, it, you, know, you know, be prepared and know where you're going. And there's a, a number of um, uh, tools that will help. Uh, I mean, a good, a good Bible version will help. A good study Bible, like the ESV study Bible. A good Bible dictionary. A good Bible encyclopedia. If you're into original languages, um, an aid that will help you understand what the original is actually saying. Now, today you can do that digitally through something like uh, Olive Tree Study Bible, and you can buy in those modules. It's quite expensive, uh, but it's worth it. Another way you can do it is it's all online for free. Uh, something like uh, Blue Letter Bible or Precept Austin is, is, a, is an excellent resource. Anybody else found any resources online that will help uh, with preparation? Yeah, um, so there's this website, Bible Study Tools. Okay. Like put in a word. Like you would break down the meaning, like everything is one one snapshot, like where it appears in the Bible, you know, how it's used, and even it's just great. It's very simple. Good. What's it called? Bible study tools? Yeah, Bible study tools. Yeah. Any anybody else? Mary, you found some. I'm a, I'm a precept Austin. Precept Austin, and yeah. I think John, you should put it up on the whiteboard because like, if people don't aren't familiar with even how to spell it they should go there because it's um, and that will give you such a lot I mean you have to figure out how to navigate it a little bit yeah. um, but once you do you can you know type in a passage and get easily you know yeah. depending on the passage 75 to 100 commentators on it on that one verse yeah. or that one passage yeah. and what I do is I, when I prepare a message I devour every single commentary I can find on that scripture on Sonic Light Sonic Light it's really good um, that's Tom Constable but again you know he's a um, commentator he's fantastic but you have to take him and juxtapose him against other commentators because yeah. a certain yeah. so 
you know, it's easy to get rutted with a favorite commentator, um, which is great because I'm I'm in ruts with certain commentators, uh, but but, but yeah. read widely, read really widely, and and that one you will read one thing will trigger a thought that takes you down a road you never thought you'd go yeah. in that scripture. So before right. I even begin my message, I, I read it for myself, then I go to the commentary. And that's a gr- that's a great thing to do. I think if you go to the commentaries first, that that that's not the best because you get trapped to their yeah. content. Uh, first, go to the Lord first, yeah. then go to the Scripture, and then let the commentary help you fill out your message. If we if there's time to look at the those sort of ten lessons, there's something I want to highlight there. Okay, so. That's proclamation. Illustration is where you take a story uh, or a testimony and you add it to what you have proclaimed in order to bring life to it. Um, it, it, It's a story that will back up that truth that, uh, that you have highlighted. And... This is perhaps the most difficult and time-consuming part of preparing a message to actually find good stories that you can put in there. But I think that that those stories will make the difference between an okay message and a really great message. The master of this is Mark Hughes. He's just a great storyteller. You know, his his messages (coughs) is one story after another after another. They're not lightweight. It's illustrating truth all the time. And one of the the things that I, I, for years, I searched for a digital tool that would um, capture and organize uh, my sermon illustrations. And eventually, I stumbled across OneNote. It's part of the Office Suite, it's part of Microsoft. But it's really well presented, it's a nice coloured resource, uh, and, and you can organise your messages and cross-reference them uh, every which way with, with sort of keywords and so on. It's searchable, uh, it takes some time and discipline to be able to remember your, your illustrations and put them in there, but it's well, well worth it. Because if you try and remember it, you forget and the blessing with that is you can clip it right from the internet and uh, it will automatically send it to your, to your software ok lots more I could say but time's getting away with us uh, any questions on that? yeah Yeah. Um, so when you're telling a story let's say a personal story Yes. how, how vulnerable would you say is, is ok to get? Because I think people connect with the person who's speaking, especially when they're being transparent and vulnerable. But where's the line? I I think you highlight a great point. I think the best stories are personal stories. Uh, What would what would you say to that? How would you answer that? Where's where's the line? that person that like you know you're, you're up there and you're you're preaching but there's like this 
this confession, like like almost like it's it's yeah yeah it's like or, or you're you're up there and you're, you're trying to like encourage the body to like follow the word. Or I mean, like are you like are you struggling right to do it? And I, I guess it's okay to be open, but um, I don't know. Maybe if you can, you know, I, you know, I I find the more vulnerable you are. The better it is. Amen. Because it, it, it just lowers the distance. If you're standing at a pulpit, people are sit, automatically they think you're six feet above above them. To say, you know what, my wife and I had a row coming to church this morning. Boom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They identify with hey, it's one of us. I remember hearing a story about uh, uh, Pope, Pope John, the last Pope John. And uh, he went to a, a prison in Rome. And he went to the prison. He said, well, guys, last time I was in here, I came to visit my cousin. Straight away, there's a connection. And uh, I think the more, the more you can let yourself be... I mean, with, you know, without... I mean, there's a line of decorum. Uh, but I think the more vulnerable you can be, the better. I mean, one rule I've heard is if you're currently struggling with it, don't share it. Which, you know, I think yeah. sometimes it's okay to yeah. share. Like you said, you know, this morning I was yelling at my kids. You know, I've heard. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. But otherwise, when you share, all you share is success. And if there's somebody there that's struggling <clears throat> with with failure, uh, you know. How can they identify? So I, I think it's okay to say, you know what, I'm struggling with so let me tell you what it is. And it's really, I'm struggling with the discipline of fasting. Yeah, yeah I find that very difficult. Mm-hmm. I think you've made a connection. Yeah. And I think too, like if you have an issue, there's got down to be your, your primary peeps that know about it. And so if you're not sure what vulnerability those people are seeing the disparity in your own integrity and shameless yeah. and all that, yeah. I think that's yeah. a problem. Because yeah. it's, it's not nice for the person who, who, who knows that person who's preaching, who actually knows the issue, yeah. going, ah, uh, really? Yeah. Right. Probably yeah. shouldn't be proclaiming such yeah. a victory right now. Cause yeah. It's not. I think you just have yeah, yeah. it's about integrity, right? Yeah, integrity and authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I think authenticity and authority go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah, I I haven't preached, but uh, we will be, right, Mark? <laughs> I, I think that the um, that vulnerability to me would would make the message even more real. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, it makes it more believable. And yeah. As you mentioned, uh, there's a connection between you and the people, uh, a relation which I think will help whatever it is you're saying to yeah. penetrate. Yeah. So. Great. They, they, yes, Charian? Any other results other than OneNote for uh, illustration, anything that you found very, very, very insightful for illustrations? Any? Uh, that is just to collect the illustrations and record them. Right. Uh, Evernote was, would be another one, but I found that a bit more complicated and not as nicely presented. I, I, this is a bit more user-friendly. Oh. Uh, that would be the best one I'd recommend. Oh. Okay. John? Yes? You were mentioning the text and, and you know limiting the number of verses. How often do you preach from a number of scriptures from throughout the Bible, like 
you, do you often do that, or do you typically like to stick to one? I sometimes, yeah. sometimes do that. I did last week. That there, were, there were two chapters that uh, Joshua one and Joshua three that, that we dipped into. Um, I think that's okay. I think it, it's optimum to stick with one, but it, it, it's okay. At least you're rooting it in the scripture, which is essential. Mm-hmm. And so long as it's not through so many, it's confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's been my experience on the yeah. occasion. Yeah. Okay. I think what he's asking is should it be exegetical to follow one set of verses or topical? Because when you're following a bunch of verses, you're trying to um, make your topic known. Yeah. Whereas if you follow an exegetical passage, the passage speaks for itself. And you don't have to provide a bunch of verses to get your point. I think both is okay. Yeah. I, th- I think exegetical is better. But even if you're being topical, you can handle the verse you're talking about exegetically. Yeah. It's topical and systematic, Um, and and I think systematic. All all the great get guys like Martin Lloyd Jones, Glenn Owen, uh, Kendall, they all do systematic. But there's room for topical stuff. But within that topic, handle the scripture with integrity and and be exegetical and expositional. Okay. Uh, Yeah, sure. Would you say that it's more? Um, you know, in, in gathering illustrations, you can go to BibleIllustrations.com and just read all these random things. Yeah. And you might go, oh, this looks good, and that becomes your illustration. But it's so unrelated. Yeah. It's your own experience. Do you think it's better to produce an illustration that is relevant to you in mm. some way? Even if you just say, hey, you know, I read this in the newspaper last week. Yeah, absolutely. Time. Um, but but there's actually you connect to that illustration in some way that yes. it's not just sort of something you whip out of Let, yeah, absolutely definitely. I think anything per, I think the more personal your stories can be, whether they're personal about you or something you connect right. to, it, it's so much better. And I find got you know trolling those websites. There's maybe three percent you can use. It's very time-consuming, and you think, oh, gee, why is that in there? What a weak start, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, proclamation, illustration, application. Um, this is where the truth that you're proclaiming, you're preaching, grounds with your congregation. I, I remember a number of years ago, one of the leaders in our church, uh, one of the house group leaders, uh, he said, can I have a word with you? I said, sure. So we went in the gym there and he said, just what to say about your preaching. So, you know, you don't know whether to, oh, oh. I, I, I didn't know whether to put my head above the parapet or duck, dig, uh, duck it uh, further down. He said, I find your preaching totally irrelevant. <laughs> I should have done but you know what once I got over it I thought you know you're right you're right because it, it lacked application it was information not formation uh, and aim at, at that's one of the ten lessons aim at, at not just informing the mind but actually 
changing the heart and changing the life. And that I think the difference between a good sermon and a, and, and a better sermon is if you can give people some tools that they can put in their pocket, they can draw out Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday morning, when they're in the office, when they're in the classroom, that, that will help them apply what, what you're saying. Jesus was always practical. And then landing, uh, when you finish, sit down. I remember being in Mexico with somebody, one of my, one of, one of my guys, and uh, he, he, he preached a good sermon, but boy, he circled the airport at the end, round and round and round, and I think, land the plane, get on the ground, finish. <laughs> Just get me. And eventually he landed the plane. Uh, don't do that. When you finish, finish. You know, you can, and there's lots of ways to finish. You can finish by recapping your message. You can finish by setting a task. You can finish by calling for a response. You can finish by just saying, let me pray for you. But, but finish. Somebody said, stand up, speak up, shut up. And that, that's very, very necessary. Um, we have one minute. Any questions? We want... We're trying to be interactive. Thank you for your questions. Um, what would you say about length? Because on one hand, there are the people like TED Talks. Yes. You know, they're very quick, 18 minutes. Yeah. And now they're shortening them. Yeah. Because they say people's attention spans are yeah. decreasing. On the other hand, you have the people who preach 45 plus minutes. And they say if you're boring, <clears throat> even five minutes is too much. Yeah. If you're interesting, people will listen for an hour. If you just, there won't be time to go through these ten, but if you look at number six, uh, more is less, usually. Um, Val says to me, you know, you've got like a a, a listening tank. Uh, Everybody's got a certain capacity. And the minute you start to speak, it's going down. It's like an oxygen tank. And the minute you start to speak... It, people are using up their capacity to listen and hear. And I, I find 35 minutes, and obviously that's give or take, it is optimum. I think if you look at TV shows today, what used to be an hour, now we're 43 minutes. Because people's attention is less. In the TED Talks, they, they pitch them you know, less. In a classroom, teachers talk to you know, change activities every certain number of minutes to, to keep attention. So the days have gone. Jonathan Edwards' dad, famous quote, he says, and 66thly, in his sermon, those days are gone, I'm afraid. Uh, when the preacher was the source of information and people had the capacity to sit there for two hours, maybe longer. Uh, 30, I'd say 30 to 35 minutes. It's not the law of the leaps and diversions. But, but that will be optimum, I would say. Unless you live in India or Africa. Yeah. Like they, 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 they have a different capacity. Yeah. Their tanks are much bigger than North America. <coughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Isn't that due to training? We've trained people to be shallow and. Yeah, I, I think our culture. It's changing all the time. You know, people are stimulated. All the, and I think they're conditioned not to sit for long periods of time, especially with things mostly going through the ear gate. 
Um, I think, you know, yeah, it's just a reflection of our wider culture, I think. I think, it, it, in a sense, it's sad that sometimes 40, 35 minutes is the only Bible teaching the congregation gets in a, in, a, in a week. John Calvin used to preach just about every day. Now, I'm not saying that was optimum either. Not everybody's John Calvin. Uh, but but I, I think that, in answer to your question, 35 minutes. And in answer to your question, I think it's a reflection of our culture. Can we reverse that? And how? Well, I, I, yeah, I guess we can. But I still think we're going to hit a brick wall. And what we want is to leave people wanting more, rather than thinking, boy, I wish they'd finish. Well, on that note, <laughs> maybe I should finish. <laughs> Thank you. You know what, just read through those ten things at the end. Um, maybe tonight, before, if, you, if you can't sleep, read through that. I guarantee you, you'll sleep afterwards. Um, but actually, these are ten things I just jotted down as vital lessons that I've learned over the years that uh, I would uh, just leave you with. So thank you very much. <laughs>